Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, is it a HIPAA violation for me to say that you're podcasting through COVID right now? No, no, I'm, I'm obviously down to disclose, you know, my, my status or whatever. I have been, you guys have heard me tell stories about my life in this podcast. This is a pretty good example of how my life is just 20% more ridiculous than, than most people's. I mean, not even because I really even do anything. I have gotten COVID tested four different times. So a little peel behind the onion to the uh, TV world. Every time that you go on set for a TV production now, you get uh, COVID tested right before. So not because I had any suspicions, but I've just been on set with my day job um, you know, shooting stuff uh, on, on set, like behind the scenes stuff. So I've gotten four COVID tests in the last 12 days. So the fourth one, of course, I go in there. I'm feeling a little bit stuffy, but I'm always sick. You guys hear my voice on here. It's not great. It's usually full of phlegm. So I thought to myself, like, <laughs> you know, like maybe I'm just myself today. Maybe I'm just extra myself. It's allergy season or whatever. So I get my COVID results, you know, I'm saying like 7 p.m., uh, and like it's it's super like the process was super long which kind of like tipped me off anyway but it was funny because I accidentally just like infected my whole house so like Brittany now has it John has it because we were playing video games my, my buddy I work with and it was funny because it was kind of like um, have you ever seen the movie Knocked Up Connor? Of course. Um, so remember that scene where he goes to like retrieve his stuff and everybody has pink eye? Yes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of like my house because I literally was so positive that I was like COVID negative because I had so many tests. So like I said, we were all playing. We had like a little land party type setup going on after my last set visit because I knew I was going to be free for a while. You know, my, my window had kind of ended. So it was like, dang, like now I got it. Everybody's got John's got our whole house is just like a COVID ward. But yeah, we're I'm feeling good. I'm feeling hydrated. You know what I'm saying? I just bear with me if I call some quarterback the wrong name, but that's going to happen anyway, so. COVID brain. Just exactly. Talk it up to that. Happens to the best of us. Uh, we are going to talk with former Michigan running back Hassan Haskins as he gets ready for the NFL draft. Also got two different things that I want to dig into after that. I have some thoughts on the Eric Church deal with him canceling his, his concert in San Antonio. And then we are going to talk dogs in figuring it out. But first, should we be talking more about Mississippi State? Hold on. So as... as uh, opposite to our USC USC podcast. Now we have a dogs dogs podcast. Correct. You are 100% <laughs> correct. This is the dog podcast. Although I guess we're interviewing a Wolverine. Um, yeah, I mean Hassan, Wolverine Hassan Oreo Haskins, with dogs. Hassan Haskins runs like a dog. I mean he is a dog. The way that he blocks, the way that he hurdles. So I guess he can qualify. This is the dog podcast. Spell it however which way you please. Um, I'm going to be honest. Like some t- every once in a while. I will kind of look back maybe the last couple months of recording this podcast and I'll just try and figure out what have I talked about a lot, what have I not talked about enough, and what what have I talked about maybe the right amount. And sometimes, you know, I'll break it up into specific segments or something like that, just because I think we need to kind of circle back to some of these teams that are more relevant than maybe what we're giving you credit for. And I have not talked a ton of Mississippi State since the 2021 season ended. With the exception of Vandy, I realized, I think Mississippi State has been mentioned the least of any SEC program, even less than Mizzou, because we at least had Harrison Mebus on a couple of months ago. Go listen to that episode if you haven't. Um, I'll admit that as much as I try and call it like I see it, I pride myself on doing that. I always say, look, man, I don't have a team. I root for people. I just try and I, I tell, tell, tell the world with trying to not have these certain biases. 
if you're not one of the programs who has a lot of history, I, I just think it's tougher to get into the national spotlight unless you have some historic season like Kentucky just did, like Ole Miss just did. Last year wasn't a historic season for Mississippi State. Seven and six overall, four and four in the SEC, kind of ho-hum. And the last 15 seasons, Mississippi State has had between six and eight wins a total of eight times. That actually seems kind of low. I would have thought it was more than that because they're always in that six to eight win range, it seems like. And unless you sold yourself on those weird FPI rankings before last season that somehow had Mississippi State at number eight until they were corrected a few months later and ESPN had to come out and admit, oh, our modeling numbers were wrong and we regret the error. Unless you were buying into that, it wasn't like, hey, expectations came woefully short of what we thought. It's really weird to think about the the fact that they didn't realize their model was flawed until they saw mississippi state at number eight they're like we did something wrong here they were born seven last year did they that explain that where they were like, like actually we thought that was georgia we plugged in the wrong bulldogs i'm sorry <laughs> oh god i so it, it's funny that you mentioned georgia i went i went back and i looked at their updated post-correction formula georgia had a four percent chance to win the national title oh, yeah. based on espn's fpi meanwhile oklahoma who look i was high on oklahoma last year i said i thought it was going to be lincoln riley's best team i was wrong about that but oklahoma the team who had yet to win a playoff game had a 17 percent chance and if you think to yourself in what world would Oklahoma have four times more likely have a chance to win a national title than Georgia? That doesn't really make sense. That's all you need to know about the ESPN FPI. God bless it. Um, I just want them to come out and admit that it's not based on much of anything at all and that it's just pretty random and they just kind of do it for the hell of it. The ESPN am, FPI presented by Big Game Boomer. Yeah, yeah, Big Game Boomer. Another great example. Just throw it out there. <laughs> just get it out there. You don't have to justify it. Just get it up there. Uh, I'm not saying that Mississippi State is worthy of starting in the top 10 at all this year. Definitely not saying that. But I do find myself asking a certain question. Should we be talking more about Mississippi State? And are they quietly one of the most intriguing teams in the SEC going into 2022? Yes, I think so. Now, I, look, I, I can tell you exactly why they've probably been the quietest SEC West team this offseason, which even includes Arkansas, who's at least getting love in some of these way too early polls. That finish for Mississippi State was a killer. We know that. If Mississippi State had won the Egg Bowl or if they had won the Revenge Bowl against Texas Tech, either one of those games, and we're talking about them in a different way, this is a different conversation, but instead, they kind of settled into the place where they usually are. And it's hard to get overly excited about a team with one winning season in conference play in the 21st century, and it happened because the best player in program history was running the show, okay? Mm -hmm. That's just, that's reality. For Mississippi State fans who say, oh, you don't talk about my team enough, sorry, that's always going to be looming. Let me at least, though, make the case for why Mississippi State is actually a really interesting program with a bunch of different potential outcomes that intrigue me. We got to start with Leach. Most interesting man in Starkville. Not, not a close second at this point. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is talking about this contract thing. I searched far and wide for any sort of discussion, debate, discourse, nothing about Mike Leach's contract as it currently sits. What's the contract thing, you ask? Mike Leach, two years left on his deal. 
listeners of this podcast. Most diehard SEC fans know that contracts for public employees in the state of Mississippi cannot be longer than four years in length. I hope that if you gain nothing from listening to this podcast regularly, you at least process that. And yep. always remember it every single time we talk about a contract with Ole Miss or Mississippi State. Remember that. Mike Leach is still working off of his original four-year, $20 million deal that runs through 2023. It's ironic because a month before Leach left for Mississippi State, he signed an extension at Washington State that was supposed to keep him in Pullman through 2024. If you Google Mike Leach extension, that's what comes up. (laughs) But at Mississippi State, he has yet to be extended. There's a lot of ways in which I I think this storyline could develop with Leach's contract. The most likely outcome is that Leach gets an extra year added to his contract sometime before the start of the 2022 season. For all I know, John Cohen, the athletic director of Mississippi State, he's in the process of working that out with Leach's people as we speak. It was Cohen who made Leach the highest paid coach in school history when he went down to Key West and he made Mike Leach an offer that he couldn't refuse. Cohen wants Leach to be Mississippi State's coach for the next decade. There's really not much debate about that. Cohen is also the same guy who fired my guy Joe Moorhead after two years. Okay, He's been a little bit impulsive before. There's nothing saying that he won't be impulsive again, but I do think that he's going to go to bat for Leach. It's his big time hire, of course. Joe Moorhead had Leach beat in pretty much every single way. But obviously the off the field issues, the, the success relative to expectations kind of contributed to where we stood with them and based on perception and all those different things. If you recall, Joe Moorhead got a one year extension in May after his first season on the job, a somewhat disappointing first season on the job. That's how you typically do it with these contracts in Mississippi. And also typically at the power five level, coaches have at least four years left on their deal because they don't wanna to have to answer that question in the recruiting world and have the, oh, hey, are you gonna be there by the time I'm leaving, blah, blah, blah. With the way that buyouts are set up now, these coaches get extended and there's always several years remaining. There's no such thing as a, a coach going into a contract year from an official standpoint. We treat that in a much different way. This was like a contract year for Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart still had several years left on his contract, but it was going to be when he was going to go back to the negotiating table. And we talked about that and why this playoff run was so significant for him. So it's very different with Leach as we talk about this deal that again, only runs through 2023. Fair or not, that's the way that this stuff often gets negotiated with extra years added on to the back end. I think it's interesting that we're talking on the last day of March. This is going to come out April Fool's Day. Two years in, Mike Leach has yet to get an extension. If Leach had won either the Egg Bowl or if he'd won the bowl game, um, which in case you forgot was against an interim coach, and Leach was a double-digit favorite in that game, I think that extension is already signed. I think it's already out there. I think if you Googled Mike Leach extension, you would have Mississippi State results and not just Washington State results. Instead, I think those two games made things a little bit murky. If I'm reading between the lines here, if no deal gets done before the start of the year and there's not any change in that contract, Mississippi State could, theoretically, fire Leach at season's end while only paying him the $5 million that would remain on his contract. If he gets a one-year extension, basically just added on to the end of his deal, which like I said, very, very likely, Mississippi State could still pay just $10 million to fire him at season's end if things blow up in year three. 
as we know, more Power 5 coaches have eight-figure buyouts than not. It's not really that crazy to pay a coach 10 million bucks to walk away in the SEC. That we know. Mm -hmm. We also know the Dan Mullen situation last year is a great reminder of why extensions and even raises don't always mean that much. The headline of Mullen's extension, which finally came after three years on the job, was that he got a three-year extension and a raise that would make him one of the top five highest paid coaches in the sport. In the fine print was the fact that the buyout remained unchanged at 12 million bucks. We talked about that a lot. Some Florida fans said that we were just spinning a media narrative for clicks. Others acknowledged that Mullen wasn't out of the woods just yet. Long story short, they fired him six months later after offering him that contract. What Mullen and Leach have in common is that they both should have been in line for obvious extensions if they could have just avoided those disastrous finishes. And instead, they had those disastrous finishes to their seasons. I don't know this for sure, but it wouldn't be surprising if there was some disagreement about the significance of that as it relates to Leach's contract. I wanna go on record and say right now, like. I don't expect Leach to be fired in 2022. It's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But I also think that anybody who tells you it's impossible for that to happen hasn't been paying attention to the way that these things play out, especially if you've got a coach with a propensity for being somewhat unfiltered. We can say that with Leach. <laughs> and look, to Leach's credit, I mean, he's actually done a pretty good job of avoiding the foot and mouth comments since he tweeted out that cartoon with a punchline about lynching, which is probably why more <laughs> people a, aren't talking about What a sentence right there. He's done a good job since that lynching joke, though. You gotta give him credit. Which was April of 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's a career best ago. for him. You're absolutely right, actually. <laughs> yeah, how many days without an incident, right? Like, <laughs> the old sign. Leach, Leach has done pretty well. He's actually turned into a relatively boring follow on Twitter. I mean, he kind of has. Every once in a while, he'll throw in a, a joke that he probably has to get checked off by about like 10 different people. But, you know, that, that's just kind of the way that he's been kind of staying below the radar, which I think Mississippi State is perfectly okay with. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's another um, common dream job. Mike Leach, joke, dad joke checker. <laughs> Man, I don't even know if I'm qualified for that. I really don't. I'm not the best with picking up on every single reference. I don't think I'm cultured enough for that. I think there are some things that would just fly right over my head that I would have to consult people on. I'm not the best guy. There's there's a better. Maybe if there's if I'm part of a team, <laughs> if I'm part of a team, that's different. But yeah, I couldn't just be the end all be all for that. Okay. Also with Leach, he should feel pretty good about a few things that he has working in his favor going into 2022. Let's start with the quarterback situation, right? We heaped a lot of praise on Will Rogers in November, so I don't really feel like we're like you and I. This podcast, we are. We should be the subject of any sort of Mississippi State fan saying, oh, you guys aren't giving my guy enough respect. Like, he got his respect here. We gave oh, him yeah. that. Plenty, okay? But especially after that Auburn game, we talked about how it was kind of his coming out party, and he really showed us a lot of things post-Alabama that were darn impressive, and it was everything you were kind of hoping for if you had realistic expectations for the Mike Leach offense in year two in Starkville. I think he made the year two jump. They improved by 7.7 .7 points per game. That's the third time at a different Power 5 school in which Leach has had an offense improved by at least a touchdown per game. That's the good stuff. The passing game was better, 82 yards per game better. I thought Will Rogers mostly did a better job getting rid of the ball, not really being too greedy in some of those spots. He learned to pick apart a defense if it didn't want to do anything other than play drop eight coverage. I wonder about how Mississippi State's going to handle that as well without Charles Cross, of course, the left tackle who's 
potentially going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. They got to replace both tackles. We'll kind of see what it looks like on the offensive line and if they can actually block a three-man front. But Rodgers is still, even with all that, one of the most prolific returning quarterbacks in all of college football. And there might not be 10 quarterbacks in the country better than him, at least to start the year. I was curious about this. I don't know what his future holds. Smaller guy. Um, he doesn't play in a pro-style system. We know that. But Will Rogers technically has three years of eligibility left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if, if you know where I'm going with this, uh, you, you know exactly what we're, we're going to have to talk some numbers here. Um, I, I wanted to, to kind of do a fair breakdown of this and not just assume anything. But remember, 2020 didn't count against anyone. Right. So technically, the only year that he's used up is 2021. Even if he's just a four-year starter, right? And if we duplicated his 2020 and 2021 production, he didn't start off 2020. KJ Costello started the first part of the year and he did came he? in. So yes, he did, technically. <laughs> who could forget? Right, who, not me. <laughs> yes, definitely not you. Definitely not uh, those in the bayou. But, so let's, let's do the conservative estimate here with Will Rogers. Um, if he just replicated that 2020 and 2021 production, four-year career as a starter, he'd finish his four-year career with 13,430 passing yards. That would break Aaron Murray's SEC record of 13,166 yards. Yep. He would have 94 passing touchdowns, which is very, very conservative. Mm -hmm. That would still put him only number four all time behind Murray, Werfel, and Locke. You love that list, I know you do. That is a list, man. Um, it, it is weird though, this, this is gonna be the stat that you're gonna be like, all right, let's, let's put an asterisk on this. It's weird to think that Rodgers has a very real path to 40 touchdown passes this year, which would tie him with Tua at number seven on the SEC's all-time list. Um, of course, all of Rodgers' accomplishments will have a bit of a mental asterisk, if you will. Not to take anything away from the kid, because doing this in the SEC is really hard to do. I'm not trying to take it away from Tim Couch, what he did with Kentucky in the late 90s or anything like that. But there would still be that, yeah, but, you know? Because if you throw the ball 50 times a game, you're gonna put up numbers. That's just the way that it is. I think we're kind of numb to to his production because of that. If you wanna go through the all-time NCAA passing leaders, you're subconsciously gonna be like, all right, let's get past Case Keenum. Let's get past Graham Harrell. That's what we do with the Air Raid guys. That's just the way that it breaks down. Mm -hmm. But still, there is intrigue, and that's what we're talking about with Mississippi State is the intrigue. There is intrigue with a guy putting up huge numbers, even if he does have some questions to answer about like how he diagnoses backside protection, what it'll look like with Makai Polk, his favorite target off to the NFL. What Leach also has working in his favor, getting to the part that you're gonna like, Will. Nobody in the SEC has a higher percentage of returning production than Mississippi State. That's the great stat that we always reference from Bill Connolly of ESPN. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State is number six among Power Five programs in that stat. Obviously on offense, Will Rogers, big part of that. We just talked about him. You've got a backfield returning, of course, with Johnson and Marks. You've got a bunch of those key targets back. You added a couple of Power Five receiver transfers with Robinson from Georgia, with Mosley from Northwestern but it's the defense where Mississippi State should really improve. What kind but of I defense, mind, Connor? The 3-3-5, we respect the 3-3-5, that's what we do here. Yes, sir. When I do my, my SEC defense rankings, I'll probably have to put Mississippi State in the top five, I think, to start, which might sound ambitious, but 
Number eight in FBS in percentage of returning production on the defensive side of the ball. They lost lockdown corner Martin Emerson, a guy who was underrated. They lost Aaron Brule, who represented Mississippi State at SEC Media Days last year, and then he actually transferred to the other MSU, Michigan State. And that was actually kind of a byproduct of Jeff Johnson turning into this stud and ideal fit in the middle of that 3-3-5 and doing a lot of different things. And he was like, hey, I'm not playing as much as I would like to. And Johnson is going to be an all-SEC candidate coming into the year. Um, that's the other thing that Leach should be soaked about. He's got his 3-3-5 man coming back, Zach Garnett. Yep. Zach Garnett is still there. Somehow, yeah, SEC- like that guy... I'm shocked he hasn't gotten like several head coaching jobs, honestly, because he's a great coach. Quick side rant on that. I, it, it's really easy for SEC programs to now sustain those coordinator moves because they, they have the money to be able to offer seven-figure deals to these guys, and that makes a difference. And unless you kind of want to cut your teeth in the group of five role, mm-hmm. which is a little bit lateral depending on where you're looking and it's not for, it's not a lateral move for everyone it depends on the group of five program that you're going to or something like that unless you're getting those types of opportunities and they're good ones you're like hey why don't i just hang out here be a really good power five defensive coordinator and i think that's what zach arnett is mississippi state's in a great spot in that regard too because over half of the of the division has new defensive coordinators so maybe that's kind of why we're not talking about them in a weird way is because they didn't do anything from a personnel standpoint that was splashy. It's not like they went out and got some new household name at defensive coordinator or something like that. They simply retained Zach Garnett, which Mississippi State fans are happy about. Mm-hmm. They know how valuable he is. I don't know if there's any way to judge this, but he's probably one of the most appreciated coordinators in the country. And he's done that in a short time, just two years on the job. Mississippi State was number three in the SEC against the run last year. I don't think people realize that Alabama and Georgia were the only better run defenses in the SEC. That's it. That's all we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So let's say that there's a a hypothetical scenario in which Leach is surprisingly gone in 2022 for one reason or another, right? Could be, I don't know, maybe he releases a statement saying that he's ready to go all in on becoming a pirate full-time, all right? (laughs) Goes back to Key West, (laughs) just hops on his ships and just sails westward or eastward. I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Word. He, he sells word somewhere. Um, yeah, but let's let's just say hypothetically that happens. I think there would be a good chunk of Mississippi State fans who would bang the drum for Zach Garnett to be the next head coach. I really do. Um, that's how valuable he is working alongside someone that we know doesn't really have a lot of defensive input. He's a big picture guy when it comes to that. And Leach has struggled to have quality defenses to complement the air raid. So I look at all those things, and I don't necessarily want to sit here today and say, Mississippi State's going to go 10-2. and two. I'm not going to do that like I did a few years ago when they had Joe Moorhead coming into year one. I'm not doing that. But I think the intrigue is absolutely there. I think a really favorable non-conference slate should suit them well. And I, I like the possibility of a more successful leech yielding probably the most entertaining version of him that we have seen yet, at least at Mississippi State. I look at all those things and I say, hey, you know, maybe I've been too quiet about Mississippi State. Will, any more noise about Mississippi State? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we talked about uh, when we were talking quarterbacks in one of our last, like, bold and brash things. I was talking about Will Rogers as, like, preseason All-SEC. And, and like you said, you know, you, like, 
the press coming out of Mississippi State was just kind of pretty, pretty tough, like just coming out of that season. And we talked about, you know, this is a Mississippi State season last year that I'm going to remember forever just because how bonkers it was. You know, we talked about the Memphis game, the, every up, down, high, low you could possibly have, they really had. And it's, it's they're easily, to me, the most entertaining team in the SEC last year. Uh, every week you tune in and truly have no idea what you get from either side of the ball not not even in a bad way just luck like luck missing field goals like just random stuff that you can't even really pass interference call that Traylon Burks gets at the end of that Arkansas game yeah. nobody has ever said that Arkansas has gotten a, a has gotten like the better end of a raw deal but that was an instance that Mississippi State fans would probably point to as well right exactly so it's like I'm not saying like oh like lack of institutional whatever like no they just had some really really weird breaks last year uh so yeah it's still hard Hard, you know, like to, to determine kind of where Leach is after that season because you really couldn't find any consistency. Like you said, I think that we know Rodgers is good. I think that that's kind of a given. Um, I think that that's a huge thing to have, you know, looking up and down. And that's kind of like, you know, what I've been doing in the background a little bit is looking up and down all these like career passing records because he, like you said, stuff like that really excites me. Um, just, just kind of where guys, watching guys climb these record books. And yeah, I think that he has the tools, especially if you look at, you know, guys like Graham Harrell or, or even Falk and, and Minshew, some of the guys that he had at Washington State uh, that really climbed these leaderboards. And I think that one of the questions that we had was, you know, would, would this work in the SEC? And I think that last year we saw enough of it, especially with this quarterback from Mississippi State fans to say, you know, this is one of the more sustainable offenses that we've had um, at least since, you know, Mullen and, and the, the Dak years, as far as we know this quarterback is great. Yes, sometimes it's a little bit fluky. Sometimes, you know, we have the situations like the bowl game, but the fundamentals, the nuts and bolts of this kind of work. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, the, the contract thing is what it is. I feel like, you know, maybe he's just paid in Bitcoin. Have you ever considered that? Maybe that's why his contract maybe. is so hard to find. I don't know. I don't know. Unless there is some sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge deal that I'm just, I haven't been privy to that information. Yeah, it's it's still considered an unknown, but again, that's what leads that's what leads to this this interest level, which I think should be there. And I think more times than not, you can kind of just brush past Mississippi State. All right, they're not a team that you necessarily have to worry about if you're an SEC West team playing a home game against them. Even though we saw this past year what they did at Texas A&M in College Station, right? What they did to Auburn in Jordan-Hare. We saw these moments nearly beating Arkansas on the road as well. We saw these moments with them where we're like, oh, well, well, this is different. Mm -hmm. And then they would always kind of bring you back down to earth and bring you back to that place where you think Mississippi State should be on a yearly basis, which is, like we said, between six and eight wins. And that's where everybody's kind of comfortable leaving them, including those who come up with FPI. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you try and use that as some sort of predictive formula, even though it's not. Um, but yes, I will do my best to talk more Mississippi State and talk more about some of these storylines that I think are really, really interesting. So consider this an apology to those Mississippi State fans who listen to this who are diehards. Maybe those who don't listen to Mississippi State who are just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm a little bit higher on that team than you are. But a team that will have plenty of intrigue in 2022. So let me ask you this. What is your ceiling for Mississippi State? If all this, like everything hits, you think, what, 10, 11 wins? If everything hits, I don't want to say 10 wins again. I don't, I don't. <laughs> that got me into trouble. That got me into trouble. Listen, in well, here's the difference. There's a difference between predicting something and giving a ceiling. I want to make that abundantly clear. You know what I'm saying? We will probably do a a ceilings podcast we did that last year yep. um talking about every every team's uh, best case scenario what is their ceiling 
um, which is kind of funny to look back on some of those because I, admittedly I was a little bit too conservative with some of these teams. And Mississippi State could be another team in which I'm too conservative with them, but I would probably say it's like a nine and three regular season ceiling just because of how tough the division still is. But if you're talking nine and three and a potential 10th win in a bowl game, and oh, by the way, to get to nine and three would likely be, yeah, it would be a winning record in conference play, something that you've only done once in the 21st century. Mississippi State fans would be feeling great about that. Leach's extension would be fully taken care of in all likelihood, and he would be probably working on a new contract altogether. But you just, you just can't necessarily pencil in any of those specific things. But I do find myself being a little bit more bullish on Mississippi State than probably the general consensus right now. You know what's crazy too? It's like college football and football in general has done ev a better every year about kind of sucking us in all year. And now we have this thing where it's almost like, you know, we haven't gone all the way through camp yet. And so there might be a whole other wave of guys, you know, because like a lot of guys that transferred previously, like you talk about Burrow joined the team really late. And it's like there might be guys who start to kind of like lose out in camp, you know, lose their job during around the spring games and then try to switch teams. So not talking about Mississippi State at all, but just in terms of predicting anybody, it's more impossible than ever because these predictions are going to be up and down all offseason based on, you know, quarterback movement, even something like offensive line movement. We talk about Mississippi State, yeah. you know, missing two tackles. You might have tackles that just fill in and replace those guys that are power five starters from somewhere, you know? It's going to be very fluid, and I feel bad for <laughs> Phil Steele. I really yes, do. Phil Steele is slowly just, like, going to have to go fully digital. Because, like, dude, I bought the, the pandemic version. That was the last one of those oh I bought was the, the season that, like, some teams played six games. Like, da -da -da. I'm going to have that forever. I'm going to show my kids that Phil Steele book. But, yeah, more and more, it's harder and harder to just put pen to paper and ship something out. I, I feel bad that... Everybody go buy a Phil Steele magazine when those come out. Yeah. Right? Like let's let's make make sure the man who works incredibly hard and has a great team with him. Let's make sure that that he he gets his due and everything. But it is probably just the worst feeling ever to know that something publishes. I mean, we talk about this all the time when we get cold taked on the show about having a podcast that is already dated with something that is that has come out a coach firing or something like that, and that's going to be the case with the transfer portal even though that May, that May 1st deadline looms, it still could impact underclassmen who aren't necessarily banking on that. But yes, it'll be very fluid and could be fluid for Mississippi State as well. Let's kick it to Hassan Haskins, former Michigan running back, talked about his recruitment, talked about not getting offered by Mizzou as an East St. Louis kid. Uh, talked about facing Georgia and a whole lot more. Here is Hassan Haskins. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Michigan and future NFL running back, Hassan Haskins. Hassan, we've got to start um, with something I'm sure you've been asked about in these NFL meetings. Um, you hit 27 reps on the bench press at, at your peak because I'm guessing you haven't done like a max bench in a little bit. So just in terms mm -hmm. of overall volume and weight, what was your your max at Michigan? Uh, you talking about like you said you said the weight or like the the reps? Yeah, just yeah, just actually, you know what? Let's do both. Let's do both. Uh, I mean, at Michigan, we really didn't do, like, our max weight. We always did, like, volume and reps and things like that, you know. So, um, with two, we did 225 a lot, you know. But we had, like, a little help when we did our 225. You know, we had a little, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's, like, on the bar, and it helps 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 us, like, don't go as down as far. 
So that they always get us more reps. And uh, so the most reps I did was like like thirty some forty. Yeah, but that was that was what helped. So it was you know it's different. Okay, so. can you when you're doing that? Can are you able to like when you're doing it for the combine? Are you able to do the thing where you bounce it off your chest? Like, how much do does is that actually a part of like, hey, this is this is the best way to possibly do it? Because I, I see guys that that avoid it altogether and they get like true reps, and then I see guys who just like look like they're trying to throw it off their chest like it's a trampoline or something. I mean, I feel like I don't know. I feel like all mine was true reps, but I mean, you probably bounce off. I probably bounce it off my chest a little bit to give me that extra little. You know that little help that I, you know that I that I'm needing, you know. But most of it's it's all like you know true reps, but a little bounces, you know. All right though. Yeah, I, yours is legit. I didn't mean to throw you in that group. Yours is yours is definitely legit. Nothing to worry about there. And look, like I, I think the combine is all about trying to confirm what you've seen on film, and it'd be pretty useless to hit a bunch of bench press reps if you didn't have that mean streak in you. Everybody that watches you sees you just. I mean, you demolish people as a blocker. What is the best thing that someone has said to you after a block? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, people be saying all types of stuff. Some be friendly, you know. Some be be some be some hate. But uh, I mean, I, I think I blocked one dude pretty good, and he actually like congratulated me. Like, thanks. That was. That was, that was a good block, you know. <laughs> that's how they all should be. Yeah. Uh, say what? Yeah, that's how they all should be. I mean, if if you if you get somebody, they should be able to. You know, it's it's like when when Sean Kemp dunked on who was it, like Chris Gatlin or whatever it was, and he just gets oh, up and he uh, shakes his hand. It's like you get him. You know what? They should be. They should be complimenting you. Uh, you know, it's just all respect. You know, I just got you there, that never up so. You know, but everybody not like that though. So, you know, you uh, you love blocking. I, I I think you might like hurdling more though. Um, the the funny thing is is like like guys who get labeled as hurdlers or running backs who like to hurdle, whatever you want to call it, they they get labeled as guys who don't like contact, which is far from the case with you. What what is more fun for you, devastating block or a perfect hurdle? I mean. Actually, they were block, really. You know, I know I'm having on my, my teammates and, you know, having on my quarterback. So just a, just a nasty block is, is good with me. But I, I like them both. You know, I can't complain with either or, you know, so. But, yeah. When did, uh, when did the hurdling thing start with you? Because that that's one of those things that you can envision it a million times and I talked to I remember talking to Chris Rodriguez the Kentucky running back about this and he's like you can think you're going to do it but until you actually get out there on the field it's a totally different ball game I imagine that was like way back in high school for you yeah I mean I really ain't hurting too many people in high school it was like really my sophomore year of college when I first heard somebody like dang I did like I did like a baby hurdle in high school but real real hurdle was like my sophomore year of uh, college. We were playing against Notre Dame, and uh, yeah, I just did it. <laughs> you know, just off instincts, I just you know went 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 ahead and did it. Was there uh, was there ever a time when Harbaugh chewed you out for a hurdle? Nah, good thing. You know, he he always let me did do what I what I did. 
you know, and uh, I definitely thank him for that. You know, just let me play how I play. You know, that's that's all you want. So play, play, play like you've been playing since since you was young. And uh, he always let me do that. So, yeah. If you, if you talk to Harbaugh's players, it, it seems like there's a very different perception of him within a locker room compared to what the outside world really says about him. Yeah. And, and maybe that's true for, for all coaches, but it just seems like there is clearly that divide. What, what do we in the media maybe not understand about Harbaugh? I mean, he's, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's a very smart guy, you know. Um, and, yeah, and last year, this previous year, uh, he definitely showed, shown that, you know, he, he let his players play like how they play, you know. Um, so, man, he just always had – he knows the game. You know how, how, how it works and things like that. So, he's just a – just a genuine, like smart guy that, that loves the game. He wants the best for his players, and uh, you know he don't care wh- what the media got to say or anything like that. You know, so he's a good guy all around. You know, in my eyes. I got to imagine there's a uh, Harbaugh recruiting story in there somewhere. You, you were very underrated as a recruit. You actually mm-hmm. committed during a time when Michigan was going through a bit of a rough stretch during that 2017 season. Were Purdue and Michigan really the only like? Power five schools that offer you? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the only two. And I had like smaller, like double eight schools and things like that. And um, but yeah, but it was pretty much the only top power five schools that offered you. you know, I was very under recruited in high school. I, I don't know why. Actually, I was. I'm telling you, I was I was a beast in high school. I'm not gonna lie. Like in a humble <laughs> way, you know, I, I was I was real nice. But uh, yeah, it was the only two, pretty much. So you you commit right after the, the Michigan visit, um, mm-hmm. and I got to imagine for you, you're like, finally, somebody that is at this different level in terms of you know college football prestige, finally somebody like that notices me, and it's not like you were an in-state guy or anything like that, but what was, uh, mm-hmm. what was Harbaugh's pitch to you when you went on that visit? Uh, man, that was so long. It felt like so long ago. I can't even remember, but he just—it was a lot of stuff. Like he really believed in me, and I, and I, you know, they took a risk with me. You know, I felt—I like, just felt like I had to prove myself to everybody. You know that I could—I could play on the next level, at a high level. You know, so, you know, he said—he said a lot of things to me. Uh, you know, just showing. I think—I think one was just show like everybody that you, you know, you could play, play, play at the school, play, play in this, in this, you know, college, college league. And, uh, yeah, so there was a lot of things he told me, but, yeah. What what happened with Mizzou? Did they ever recruit you or anything? Because you, you were an in-state guy for them, and I got to imagine. I mean, I know they've yeah. had a good, a good run of running backs, but they, they could have used somebody like you. Yeah, I know, man. I, to be honest, I talked to them a lot. You know, I actually wanted to go there, you know, but uh, they never offered me. <laughs> like, this is one day they talked to me a lot, and the next day they – Stop hitting me up. Stop talking to me. You know, and uh, but yeah, everything like everything works out for, for the best. You know, I'm glad I ain't go there. You know, I'm glad I took the path that I took. You know, everything works itself out. You know, uh, with the help help with God, so I'm blessed. You know, so I'm all good. I know everything worked out 
and you end up in a really great situation. There were tons of running backs in college football that would have killed to play behind that offensive line last year. But I, I think it's interesting to kind of look at that recruiting process and kind of look back on, well, why didn't, why didn't other people potentially see me as a fit? Have you thought about that? Like, is there, is there something wrong with the recruiting process? Is it the way that people recruit running backs? Like, what, what is it that maybe does, that doesn't quite sit right with you? Because I can tell there's something. Yeah, I definitely, I, I had long nights thinking about that. Like, man, why I'm not, why nobody, like, offer me anything like that? You know, uh, I got all the stats and things like that. You know? I, I don't know. It's probably is something wrong with the recruiting staff, you know, or something like that. But I don't know. I thought about that a lot. I just never could find an answer to it. You know, I just thought, since I'm from St. Louis, they, they thought I couldn't play. I don't know. I I I got I had a lot of theories, but like I said, everything works out works out for the best, you know. And uh, I just I just fought my way up and uh, showed everybody I can play, you know. So yeah, I'm here now. You're a great case study in what happens when you put your head down and just get better and better. You you really didn't get a full workload until year four at Michigan, and you went off mm-hmm. this past year. I think it'd be weird if any out-of-state underclassmen didn't think about transferring at some point, maybe during the 2020 season. I'm not saying that everybody was in the same exact scenario, but with the pandemic and just kind of with the, the wishy-washy, will it happen, will it won't with the Big Ten season, like, was there ever a moment that year maybe or any other year where you debated going somewhere else? Uh, I mean, I had thoughts, you know, uh, like I said, I, I like to compete. You know, I like I like to finish the job. You know, uh, we have a saying in Michigan. You know, those who stay will become champions. You know, so uh, I, I stayed. You know, and uh, I'm pretty much a champion. You know, um, like I said, I like to compete. I like to work. You know, uh, I like to work with the best. You know, and uh, just get myself better as a player. You know, and. Uh, yeah, I, I just never left. You know, I, I stick with the program. And I just, you know, I, like like you said, I put my head down and just keep working. And that's all I could do, you know, because I knew I was a good player, like, in, in a humble way. But, uh, you know, I just had to show people. I just had to keep proving people that, I, you know, I'm worthy of playing, you know. So, yeah. Second <clears> you on the, dot, the second that you signed on the dotted line at Michigan, I imagine you dreamt of a day like the one you had against Ohio State this past season. I mean, 28 carries, 169 yards, five touchdowns, and more importantly, the drought ends. Snow's coming down. You're going to Indy. How much did you just kind of want time to stand still that day? Man, that day was it was unbelievable. You know, I never thought in a million years that how that game played played out was going to happen. You know, um, Man, that was I had so many so many emotions running through my body that day. It was it was crazy. Like, I never felt that felt that type of I don't know, that type of emotion or like I don't know, I just never felt anything like that. Um that day that I, man, I wish I can have that day back, you know, keep me playing that. But uh man, that day was just amazing, I'm not gonna lie. Like man, it was crazy. Everyone said afterwards that it was so obvious that you guys just kind of imposed your will at the line of scrimmage, and Ohio State really mm-hmm. couldn't do anything to stop it. Was there a moment maybe 
where you looked across the ball and you just saw that defeat in their faces? Oh, yeah, most definitely. The first, like, when the game first started, we ran a couple of times, I just felt like these holes is pretty, pretty wide. You know, I keep getting yards, five, five, ten yards, you know, you know. And I just felt like them, them keep, like, I don't know, backing down pretty much. You know, uh, just later on in the game, you know, I just felt like it, it was, they was defeated. You know, they, they don't want no more pressure that we was bringing, you know, and, uh, we just fed off that as a, as a team, you know, my own line. You know, they always do a major job in every game. You know, I, I definitely thank all of them for sure. And, uh, yeah, they just kept kept going, you know. And, uh, you know, we just feed off each other as a team. And uh, we just kept going, opposing our will. Campus that night, how crazy was it? Then, man, like I said, it was <laughs> crazy. It was amazing. I'm not going to lie, you know. But uh, yeah, that night was um, unforgettable, you know, so. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I built you up a little bit because we got to talk about Georgia. Um, mm. I was there that night. When you see the team speed of Georgia, it's just different. And I know you guys go against studs every single day in practice, you know, Ajabo and Hutchinson and, and those guys, you know, they can absolutely play for Georgia. There's no debate about that whatsoever. But be honest here. Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, Devontae Wyatt, how unique of, a, of an experience was it to go against the speed on that Georgia defense? I mean, yeah, like you said, it was different. You know, uh, you know, we just had to, you know, compete. It was, you know, it was an honor playing against them. You know, they wanted the best. They, you know, all of them wanted the best players, you know, in college, you know. Uh, so, you know, it was just an honor playing against them, you know. Uh, it wasn't the outcome that I wanted, you know, for me or or my team, you know. But uh, you know, I gotta I gotta give my you know my eyes to them, you know. So yeah, it was it was pretty different. The run the damn ball T-shirts stayed. Uh, was there was there a little bit of regret there after seeing the way that it played out? Mm, nah, I don't, I don't I don't believe in regrets. You know, uh, you know it is what it is. So that's just that's just my my mindset. So, I wouldn't it either. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, mm. You got a taste of what it's like to to make the playoff, and also what it's like to to kind of be on the outside looking in. Probably wishing that there was maybe an expanded field, and there can be twelve teams in instead of four. Um, I know you're off to the NFL, but do you like the four team playoff? And like, is there a legitimate concern about potentially having to play 17 games instead of instead of you know 15 if the field were to be expanded like do, do guys care about potentially having to play more games at the college level if if the the playoff field expands man uh you know it's all type of mixed mixed feelings you know i get both sides you know i know players want to play more games and just get that more exposure but on the other half, you got to think of like the injury injury risk, you know, things like that. And uh, so it's just it's just a, a mixed feeling about the whole thing. So I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get it. I don't know. Like I can't say what what they want. They like that. I want to know what I wanted. You know, it's just it's a bunch of mixed feelings. So I'm I'm not sure. You know. I okay. Better question. Um, on a scale of uh, you know like. One 
being the worst, nobody's there, it's during the pandemic and nobody's showing up. I, like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being Ohio State this past year, how epic would a home playoff game at the big house be? Man, you said Camden, Ohio State? Yeah, 10 is Ohio State. I think we that's that's good enough to be a 10. That's not a 9. Yeah, that's a little different. It got to be it got to be underneath Ohio State, you know. So like 9, 9.5 okay. up there, you know. <laughs> that would that'd be amazing. That's, you know? That says everything you need to know about the rivalry right there. That home playoff game would not be quite the atmosphere that Ohio State would be in the big house. It's, it's, it's a different type of ride for there. You know, it's, it's real. All right, uh, Hassan, I want to I want to get you out of here with uh, five rapid fire questions. Just first thing that comes to your mind. Does that work? All right. So, like one word answers. Sure. Yeah. However long you want it to be. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Uh, first one. Your favorite NIL deal was what? Uh, my mouthpiece, and I lived it. I really didn't have too many, but I had a mouthpiece deal. What what did that consist of? Like, did they were you getting like several mouthpieces, or is it like mouthpieces for life? Like, how did that work? Yeah, no, it's just several mouthpieces that uh, I had to wear uh, during the game during that last year's season. You know, so it wasn't you know it wasn't bad. It helped me out as well. So, some good mouthpieces. Uh, the biggest hit you've ever taken was from who? Uh, biggest hit? I really don't. I really don't get hit like that. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Even, I can't even think of one. I can't even think of one. To be honest, that's a good sign. That that means you're doing something right. <laughs> if you're avoiding that. Yeah. Um, okay, maybe maybe then this, because uh, I, I got to imagine athletes in general, when they close their eyes, they, they picture a specific moment. So maybe biggest hit that you've ever delivered was what? Uh, I had a lot of those. Um, it was, I think it was my sophomore year. I think we was playing against uh, Indiana. I was running like on the outside, and I think it was a corner. And I just... I ran him clean. Oh, it was it was nasty. I'm not gonna lie. Um, that's probably the biggest one we played in uh, Indiana. I'm pretty sure my sophomore year. <clears throat> okay, uh, I'm an Indiana grad, so that hurt a little bit. Um, but I'll, I'll let that I'll let that slide. <laughs> I'm also look. I didn't. I mean, <laughs> you say what? I, I didn't. I I didn't say this when we hopped on the call, but I'm also a Cubs fan, and you were wearing a Cardinals hat, and I was like, oh god, I don't even know if we should continue this. <laughs> I'm from St. Louis, so I just gotta, you know, I just be representing. I'm not even no no horn. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, two more for you. Selfishly, I, I hope you get drafted by my Bears. Unselfishly, I just want you to get to play somewhere that isn't really, really cold. Do you like the cold? And if so, why? Um, I mean, I'm used to it now, you know. But I, I, I mean, I wouldn't be mind of you know going somewhere warm. You know, but hey, if they, you know, whoever pick me, it don't matter where I go, I'm gonna still do my do my thing. You know, so it's it's whatever, it's whatever with me. You know, I don't, I really don't care. Just no Canada. We don't want you playing in the CFL. You need to be playing in the NFL. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't do that at night in Canada. You know, I can't do that one. <laughs> Uh, last one for you. I, I've got a theory about Michigan fans, and it was definitely confirmed at the Orange Bowl walking around and seeing this. Um, they, Michigan fans always have to be mer- wearing more than one piece of Michigan apparel to let you know that they're a Michigan fan. Can you confirm or deny this? Uh, I mean, I never, I, never, <laughs> I never thought of that, but now that you say that, I, I'm pretty sure like, they'd be wearing more than one piece. You know, I, I never thought of that, but that's 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 a good one. You know, that might be I, true. <laughs> Michigan shorts, Mich- I've seen Michigan Crocs. I'm like, where where do we people even find this stuff? <laughs> yeah, they be finding everything. They got so much so much clothes with Michigan Michigan uh, stuff on it. So yeah, I believe it. Uh, Hassan, I really appreciate the time, man. Um, congratulations on getting to this point. I know you got big things ahead. Good luck at the next level, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Before we get to figuring it out today, I wanted to talk about this, uh, this Eric Church thing that I'm sure a lot of people have already seen, but in case you missed it, he canceled his sold-out show in San Antonio so that he could watch his beloved North Carolina Tar Heels face off against Duke in the Final Four. In case you also somehow missed it, this is the first time Duke and UNC are ever facing off in the NCAA tournament. It just so happens to be that they're playing in the Final Four, and oh, by the way, it's Coach Case last season. You already probably knew those details. It's going to be one of the most watched games in the history of the sport. And it is hard to imagine any non-national championship game with as much intrigue as there will be on Saturday night in New Orleans. I've seen some people say how a real fan wouldn't have had a concert scheduled the day of this game, which is like the most play the results thing I've ever seen (laughs) because UNC was a bubble team three weeks ago. Yep. right. If you go subscribe to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel, you will see videos of our Spencer Davis and Derek Peterson talking about the fact that this is a bubble team and what's UNC going to be able to do. Um, And that's something that we were legitimately talking about is, are they even going to win a game in the NCAA tournament? And here they are playing in the Final Four. Nobody could have seen that they would have been able to follow this path. Like The odds that an eight-seed UNC and Duke would be playing in the Final Four might feel a little bit serendipitous, but if you had actually done like a parlay on it, I don't know if that existed before the NCAA tournament, but if you would, if you did that two weeks ago, I bet it was less than 1% chance of hitting, all right? You're getting it probably at least 100 to one on your money in that scenario. So I don't really wanna hear about like how he should have known that this, you know, this game was on the same day and that he, whatever. I love there's, there's nothing worse though than planning on your team winning, like planning your life around it and it not happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, True. like booking flight. Like I was almost to booking flights when the Minnesota miracle happened, and it was devastating. I remember canceling the Delta flight. <laughs> so you don't want to be there. I'm just letting you know it's better to just plan around your team, be surprised by your team winning, than planning for them to win and then they lose. And you're sitting there with no concert to go to, just thinking to yourself, "Guess I gotta watch Duke." True. Yeah, that'd be pretty rough too. The, the, the canceling the tickets. I, I mentioned how uh, my brother and um, and my sister in law they they had tickets to that second round yep. 
of games in Indy. They were expecting Kentucky to beat St. Peter's in the first round, and they ultimately did not end up going to that, and they sold their tickets. But yeah, that is a deflating feeling, right? That's the other side of the coin here. So just as it relates to Eric Church, um, we've mentioned him on the podcast. If you've listened to any sort of country music-related thoughts that we've had, the very first episode of this iteration of the podcast that we did was um, was SEC teams as country music stars. So like, I love Mason Merrick Church. I really, really do. I've seen him in Nebraska. I've seen him in Wisconsin. Springsteen might be my single favorite country song ever. His set list is incredible. And I say that even though the last time I saw him was six years ago, all right? Like it's, it's been a minute and his set list has only gotten better. My best bud, Bronson, who is a recent country music convert, he has become such a big Eric Church fan that he somewhat impulsively dropped a ton of money to see him and Morgan Wallen together in, Minne- in uh, Minneapolis over the summer. Bronson lives in Chicago, all right? That's not, a, that's not an easy place to get to. Uh, so he texted me about this the other day and how Eric Church canceling a show like this has kind of given him some cold feet. Not necessarily that he's going to cancel a concert over the summer again or anything like that, but I took it as him saying, well, Eric Church is basically banking on the very likely possibility that he's going to be forgiven by people like Bronson, my buddy, mm-hmm. and that he's still going to sell out all of these venues because he's been one of the best in the game for a really long time, more than a decade at least. This move to cancel a show, a sold out show in San Antonio so that he can watch Duke UNC is like very much putting his own sports fandom needs above the entertainment of thousands. And he's accepting that. He's not canceling because he's violently ill or he has vocal issues. We see artists do that all the time. That's not necessarily uncommon, but on a much bigger scale, Eric Church is doing something that I think a lot of us do without realizing we do it. Um, I made the comparison. It's like making a decision that you know is gonna piss off your significant other but you're just gonna kind of have to live with the backlash of it. Like mm-hmm. when when Lauren wants to go to bed and I'm like, I really wanna watch the last 10 minutes of Wisconsin Colgate. <laughs> I know that when I say that, I'm gonna be in the doghouse for that for a bit, just probably for, for the rest of the night until she goes to sleep. But I also know that she's eventually gonna forgive me and that's why I justify in my brain watching that and seeing that I, I just tell myself, look, the satisfaction I get after for watching that game, potentially seeing a great ending or something like that, that's more important to me in that moment than the eye roll and the brief frustration that I'm going to get from her. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. No, absolutely. It's, it's all math. And like, honestly, man, I, we don't actually want famous people to be honest. That's like one of my favorite like takes because it's like whenever it's people true. are honest, we actually hate it. So it's like... Eric Church literally could have just said, like, hey, man, you know, I got tonsillitis. I can't do this show. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be myself. I'm just going to be honest with people. And people were like, no, don't be honest with us. It's like, dude, come on. You do this, too, if this was your team. Don't. Come on. He admitted. He admitted in the release that he's being selfish. This is the right. most selfish thing that he's ever asked the choir to do. Like, that. That's those are his words. It is selfish. He's, he's telling everybody. And he's okay with that. And so... He easily probably could have just been like, oh, yeah, I'm getting over something, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, pictures probably would picture like if we had seen videos and pictures of Eric Church like decked out in Tar Heel gear gear or something like that going nuts during the game. And then it would have been really, really bad if something like that had come out after the fact because be like, why weren't you honest with us? Why didn't you tell us why you wanted to miss this concert? And some people would have just been frustrated. But people are going to be frustrated either way. 
that's the reality that he's accepted. Depending on where you look, you'll see some people say, let's understand what it's like to be a fan and have a bucket list thing that you wanna witness. Those people supported the move. I don't know this for sure, but I bet an overwhelming majority of people who supported the move also didn't have tickets to see him in San Antonio, right? I'd also bet the overwhelming majority of the people who had tickets to see him in San Antonio were far less supportive because they're like, hey, you are my bucket list, man. Like, you're the thing that I'm looking forward to. I get you're looking forward to this game, but I'm looking forward to you. He is a great show. And honestly, I think his music and his personality are a little bit better suited for probably my headphones, a smaller venue. But it's, it's an unbelievable set list. It's worth the price of admission even if he isn't what I would consider an all-time great performer. He's a very good performer, not an all-time great. I think it's okay to acknowledge both sides of this. People who had tickets to this in San Antonio are well within their rights to be pissed. Right, yeah, if, pissed. You, if you want to complain, you must show one valid Eric Church ticket. Yes. <laughs> That's how I say exactly. Yes. But... Eric Church is also allowed to pull a last second move like this as long as he is willing to accept the fact that he's going to take some heat and he's probably gonna lose some fans from this, mm -hmm. right? You probably should. And it sounds like he's acknowledging that even though deep down, you can only do something like this if you've got enough fans to overcome this, which he does. If you wanna forgive him, you're not wrong. If you wanna maybe take a break from Eric Church and perhaps not have unconditional support for him, I don't think you're wrong either. Like, that's perfectly fine. I'll be honest, I'll probably go belt out some sinners like me at some point tonight and keep living my life, all right? Like that's just, that's that's how I'll roll, that's how I'll handle this whole deal. Um, Will, have you ever been in a spot like this where you had a concert that was canceled last minute, uh, maybe amidst some pretty controllable circumstances or something like that? Huh, I'm sure I have, but I've never been mad about it. Let me put it to you like that. There's never been a time where I'm like, oh, this guy stinks for this. I'm. Plenty of people have. You always hear the stories about like Kanye, Bobby Ruin stuff, just waiting, waiting until 4 or 5 a.m. to go on. And I don't know if I would feel differently if that was that. But in my personal life, I've really yet to have something canceled that I wasn't like, yeah, you know, you're a person too. So, Yeah, that's, that's a, great, uh, a great comp, though, is, is artists who show up late or they'll mm -hmm. show up an hour and a half after they're supposed to go on and do it because they know they can't. Right, Because yeah. they know people aren't leaving and that unconditional support is kind of just there for them. And I think that's really interesting and, I mean, egotistical, yeah, for sure. But at the same time, if we're just gonna continue to wait there and continue to support it, then there's nothing to really deter somebody in that spot from doing that. And that's sort of what Eric Church is banking on, even though he's also at the same time being super honest when many people in his spot wouldn't be totally honest. So anyway, I just had some thoughts on that. Wanted to get off my chest. Anyway. Uh, let's go to figuring it out. We're talking dogs. Dogs, bro. Um, <laughs> have you or any, has your family ever owned a dog? Or, or are both of us, both of us don't have dogs, no future plans to have dogs at this point? Oh, man. So, um, as you know, I grew up in a bayou in the middle of the woods. Six acres is just bayou. Um, we had uh, miniature dachshunds growing up. Uh, we had one named Sparky who was uh, the most heroic dog I've ever seen in my life, an adventure dachshund. He killed uh, three water moccasins with his tiny little mouth, 
ripped their heads off uh, and brought them to my mom proudly. Uh, just insane dog. Key actually got hit by the mailman. R.I.P. Sparky. Uh, and then, oh my god. <laughs> and then we had a chubby dachshund who was a retired show dog that like one of uh, the people that my mom sold a house to just happened to have show dogs. Just kind of donated one to us at, on the condition that we had him fixed because obviously you know you could sell his puppies or whatever. But uh, his name was Mardi Gras, which was perfect because he was fat. Um, and <laughs> he was the complete opposite of Sparky. Sparky was a, a woodlands like bred to be a dachshund dachshund that would like go up and like dig everything. You know, I saw Mardi Gras get chased by a uh, lizard one time. It was very funny, but Mardi Gras was a very sweet dog. My mom would make him one egg every morning um, and he would waddle around behind her waddling around. Mardi Gras, however, this is a story that uh, it's gonna infuriate some people because it infuriates me. Mardi Gras was actually kind of got killed by my maids. Uh, my mom let Mardi Gras stay with them uh, while she was on vacation and apparently our maids grandkids just gave him some chocolate and he just passed away and i'm furious about it to this day no. it's a story that really upsets me uh but and she of course afterward made it seem like it was like this accident she's like oh my gosh his blood sugar spiking da -da -da, how did this happen it's like well your grandkids gave him chocolate it's very obvious our dog did not have diabetes there was nothing wrong with him he was just a little bit of a chunky boy but he wasn't it had we just take him to the vet like a week or so before so we knew he was he was fine and she tried to make it seem like oh well some dogs have early onset diabetes da -da -da -da. it's like no, he didn't have diabetes yesterday, and then he died of blood spiking. So pretty sure that that was actually... Oh, my gosh, yeah, so, man. So anyway, so that had happened, I want to say, this is at this point, five, six years ago. So, yeah, but he was he was one of the, you know, he was maybe our best dog we ever had. He was super sweet. He was super kind. Uh, so that's our dog history, you know what I'm saying? We've really only had a couple of dogs, but uh, one kind of indoor dog, one outdoor dog, both very sweet dachshunds. Very dark. Very dark. That may be sad. I didn't think we were going to get to dog deaths. That, that soon. Yeah, he was a good um, boy. I mean, he lived a great... Mind you, he was, I mean, old when he passed away. He had little gray fur and everything, and he had a whole career as a show dog. Okay, good. Then he retired, you know what I'm saying, to go live with my mom, who, when I when I left, when I left for college, he stayed, and she spoiled this dog, brought him everywhere with her. I'm telling you, they were like this little adorable, you know, TV couple almost, because she, like I said, he, we would just hear my mom kind of pattering around, and then we'd hear Marty click, 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 click. So he was older. He, some, like, he was within the last couple of years of his life either way. An unbelievable sidekick a dog can be. Oh, yes. Lauren got a cat after college, and I didn't grow up with cats. I grew up with dogs. Um, cat is Rudy, who we currently have, originally named Connor. He spelled <laughs> his name wrong, though. I know. It's weird. Yeah. Wait, is this before you? Uh, no. We, we had been dating for about a year and went to the shelter, and this cat named Connor just... C-O-N-N-E-R though. So it was like, oh, he's not really a Connor. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, he just kind of spoke to us and changed his name to Rudy. And that's kind of all she wrote. So she has a type old. essentially. Just red Connor. Yes. Boom. Two for two. Yes. <laughs> Lauren only goes after things named Connor. I only go after women who were born on March 15th, 1990. I've what? told that story. <laughs> I've dated two girls in my life. They were both born on March 15th, 1990. That's crazy. Okay. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, different hospitals, very different hospitals. That would be weird if it was from the same hospital. Like, All right. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Rudy is going to be 10 real soon. And I, I only bring him up, I realize we're talking about dogs. But mm -hmm. I basically tried to raise him like a dog because <laughs> that's all I knew. Right. And he plays fetch. In our backyard, we do sprints. <laughs> I, I've sent you the videos, Will. Yes. He, he sprints like, Lord, he coming? That, yeah. that is Rudy. <laughs> um, he, he's not a dog, but he is social like a dog. He wants, you, he wants you to pet him. He wants attention. He likes to run around. 
But I'm reminded that he's not a dog when Lauren's boss's dog comes over. It's a little chai weenie named Lucy. Mm-hmm. Adorable, adorable little dog. And uh, she and Rudy will just roam our backyard. They'll hunt lizards. That's what they do. Uh, Lucy is great to have around. It's awesome. It's kind of a good way to get like my dog fix. One of the, the things I thoroughly enjoy, and this, this for me is one of the reasons why dogs are always great and I will always have a soft spot for dogs. Walking into your home and seeing how excited they are is everything. Mm-hmm. That will never, ever get old. Like this rush of joy that makes us feel so loved. There are very few animals that can provide that. And dogs are at the top of the list, in my opinion, in terms of making you feel loved and like you were actually missed the second you walk into the door. If we're taking care of Lucy and I even just come like in from the garage after working out or something, she freaks out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Rudy, meanwhile, is just sitting there like, girl, calm down. He does this all the time. He, he lives here, doing? bro. Come on. Yeah, he no try hard plans, right? Yeah, no, none of that. Um, yeah, so like I said, dogs are all, all we had growing up. I had, uh, we had a black lab named Guinness when I was really little. I don't really remember Guinness. Of course it was named Guinness. We're a big Irish family, that's what we do. Um, and then we got a golden retriever named Molly. And Molly was the dog of my childhood. Great dog, somewhat playful, never hurt a soul, loved to be pet. I kind of look back now and I actually beat myself up about it because I did not spend as much time with her as I should have. and. That, that just kind of bothers me. That's like a deeper issue. But um, I, like I can't re- recall a single time where I walked her by myself or would go into the backyard and play with her. And I don't know, maybe, maybe some kids are just kind of like that and they just, they kind of maybe take their pets for granted. I, I definitely did. Um, now I'm, I'm very different in that regard. Like you put me around a dog and we're, we're playing with that thing. Like that's <laughs> no mistake about it, right? Like that, that's happening. Um, I've mentioned before how Lauren's family in Indianapolis has a border collie named Harry. Mm-hmm. And it's the single best behaved dog I've ever seen in my life. I mean, every time I go there, we play with this toy called the Chuck It. That's basically a tennis ball that that fits into the stick mm-hmm. um, with a gripper that you just fling. What a sentence that was. And you can see that at the, it's basically right in the checkout aisle of, uh, of PetSmart. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many people have seen it, know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Harry is such a smart dog that I can't say the words play or out without him thinking he's going outside. Mm-hmm. So like, I can't just slip that in accidentally, but uh, he will fetch that ball, he'll bring it back, he'll drop it in front of my feet, and then he won't take off again until he watches me actually fling it and say, go. Um, he even knows when I say, all right, Harry, last time. And he'll like kind of sheepishly walk back in after we're done playing or whatever. But yeah, Lauren's parents joke whenever I'm in town that I wear him out for the next week because he expends all of his energy when I'm there and he could be totally gassed. And he's like, he's like Rudy at practice. Rudy, the, the Notre Dame player, not Rudy, my cat. Mm-hmm. He's like Rudy at practice being like, no, let's do it again. Like that's, that's Harry. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. I got this. Um, but I love that dog. I truly, truly love that dog. Um, I've, sh- I've shared my desire to own a bulldog one day, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm assuming that it's not going to happen. If it does, it won't be for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's kind of where we're at with the dog conversation in general. Rudy is 10 adding a dog and potentially having kids down the road would be just a lot to kind of throw into the mix. But Will, what about you? Any any imminent plans for uh, for a dog? Because I know Brittany is like animals. Yeah. She, she will buy an animal impulsively. Yeah, I'm, I'm 
kind of lucky that hasn't happened lately. We have two cats, obviously, so I think we're kind of at our limit. Um, but yeah, we had, speaking of that, um, dogs coming home thing, like, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Betty the Blind Dog. I don't know if you ever, you probably saw Betty the Blind Dog, but Are Betty you going to tell me about a dog that died again? Please don't. With, well, did I not tell you about, I showed you Betty the Blind Dog. She was a, uh, she was a poodle and Brittany, same deal. Brittany adopted her later in her life. She was like, she had one tooth. She was blind. She was super sweet. Uh, she followed Brittany around college and then kind of like went blind, but I took care of her. Obviously like she moved here with me. Um, and she had just ended up having cancer or whatever, but she lived like an awesome life. Like mm -hmm. Brittany took great care of Betty. But the, the cool thing about Betty is Betty had the most like purest, most like, like, like just unconditional love ever. And so she, but she was blind, right? So when Brittany would come home, but it was like Betty would like slowly figure out she was home. If like some days like really like pretty would be like, yo, like, like usually she'd come and be like Betty and Betty would just be like, hello. But sometimes she would just, you know, walk in and just let Betty kind of like give her a little sniff. And then she'd be like, oh my goodness, Brittany's home. And she'd start freaking out. And it was the cutest thing in the world. Like dog, like whenever Rex Chapman says like, we don't deserve dogs. Like Betty was like the walking example of that because she was literally just like, if Brittany was in a room, there could be a dragon in that room. And she'd be like, I want to be right here, dog. Like we're in this together. How much would you pay to be able to have a conversation with a dog? Like you, you would get to pick what dog, maybe oh, a, a dog that, that you have as a pet or something like that. An embarrassingly high amount of money. <laughs> oh yeah, a, like at least a thousand dollars. Yeah, numerous thousands of dollars. If I could be like, if I could like give like give Brittany a present and be like, hey, you get to talk to your dog. Here you go. I'd be I'd be saving up for that. That'd be sick. Yes, I, I and, and just for a day, just yeah. to be able to have conversation, just shoot the breeze with your dog, it'd be unbelievable. It'd be unbelievable. Mm -hmm. The uh, yeah, I, I think I just went low with thousand dollars. I think I'd go way more than that. I think it'd probably like five thousand dollars. Yeah. Worth it. Okay, Facebook questions. Hold I, on, asked, I just got to laugh really quick visually at Emery being the first comment saying, I'll leave this one to Kelsey, and then Kelsey immediately just going, DOGS in all caps! That is incredible. Like, with no notes, go on. The, the Picker family loves their dogs. That we knew from this. Um, we asked the, the Facebook group, do you have a dog? If so, what dogs make the best pets? If not, why don't you have a dog? Um, probably reasons like what I just explained. Mm -hmm. uh, creating a social media account for your dog, yeah or not? And then what is the toughest part about owning a dog that could maybe get into a dog horror story? Hopefully not, I don't want dog horror stories. All right, Kelsey Picker, let's start with this one. As you said, she says dogs. Um, uh, we have two and any dog can be a good pet. It's all about how you raise them, very true. I had a dog before we got together and we got another dog together a few years later. We agreed to wait to get our second pup until we got into a house of our own so there wasn't much to talk each other into. I haven't created social media for my pets because I don't care to devote enough time to the accounts, but I do follow a lot of dogs on <laughs> Facebook, Insta, and TikTok. The toughest part is finding a trustworthy sitter to watch them. Uh, oh, for yes. us, our pets, uh, our pets are, are our kids, so we want a sitter to look after them in the same manner. It's hard to find someone to trust to do that. Uh, yeah, a lot of great stuff there. Um, making sure that you have the right surroundings for a dog is, is so important. So important. That was one of the reasons when we didn't have a house, I, w I wasn't like, let's, let's get a dog and, and put them in, a, in like a, a smaller place, especially in our first apartment in Orlando, which was originally just supposed to be for me. and It was a one bedroom and whatnot. You gotta have enough space. I, I would feel terrible if I didn't have a place where my dog could run around and if they felt confined. You can take them on walks and stuff, that's all well and good, but you need to be in a place that you can do that. I, I would felt I would have felt bad if we were living in a city and there wasn't a park nearby that you can go walk to and it's just like, am I just having this dog for 
for selfish reasons. And then that kind of ties into the travel part of it as well about how Kelsey brought up, you need someone that you can trust that can, that can take care of them. And if you're not you know, boarding them or something like that at a place, at a place that does that, and if you have a friend that's watching them, that, that's a tricky thing to have to navigate. And if you're traveling all the time, that's just, that's just not fair to your dog. And cats are a little bit different. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of a little bit more independent in, in that way. But um, if you can find those people who watch after your dogs and do a great job and clean up after them, walk them, give them the attention that they need, more power to you. But I, I got to imagine that's got to be a really tricky thing to have to navigate. And then to, just to have to board them. If you don't do that, to have to board them every time you go travel is it's a lot. And it's definitely not cheap. I'm sure a lot of people run into that issue as well. Okay, let's go to this one from Dave Kozar. Dave says, we have two, both mixed breeds. Recently did DNA tests for both to see what they are and we're awaiting the results. Had to talk my wife into the second one, but she's gravitated more toward my wife while our, or the dog has gravitated more toward my wife while our older dog that we've had for the entirety of our relationship has always been mine. No social media accounts. The hardest part is planning our schedule and making sure we're home in time to let them out. The most underreported part of having a dog is figuring this out, especially around the holidays. Yep, absolutely. No doubt about it. Um, the, the, the social, or the, the DNA, the DNA testing. We actually just did that for, um, did it for my brother's dog did it for um, uh, my sister-in-law, Lauren's sister, who just had a baby, by the way, little baby Collins, who's probably going to be dealing, a baby girl named Collins, just like the blind side. Interestingly enough, shout out to Collins. I'm sure she's listening right now. Heck yeah, man. Um, yeah. Um, the DNA testing is really cool. If you haven't done it before, if you have a dog who maybe you got from a shelter or something like that, totally recommend it. If you've ever had any of that curiosity, it's not quite getting to talk to your dog, but getting to kind of figure out that background is I think really interesting and it's good for dog owners to kind of know where your dog came from and to, to just kind of have a little bit more of that, that identity and a little bit more of an understanding for maybe why the way that they are. Have you ever done uh, DNA testing for any of your pets? Mm -mm. They are just hundred percent good boys. Yeah. It's, I think it's really cool to see. Like I was looking forward to getting the results for, uh, for my brother's dog who's uh, named, Cali after John Calipari. Of course. Um, yes, of course. They're, they're diehard Kentucky fans. Of course they would be. Half, uh, probably as useful to half court right now. So. <laughs> Callie's got some length. Let me tell you <laughs> what, man. Callie, Callie can get up. She can, she can jump. She's got some ups. Scott Strauss says, yes, we have a dog, a pit slash boxer mix we rescued from Atlanta, Humane Society, best dog ever. Sheltered dogs are the best. My wife pulled the old, let's go to the shelter just to look trick and we left with our Allie girl. It was fate, once adopted, Allie gained a middle name and became Allie Gator. <laughs> go Gators, by the way, he says. Uh, no social account, although she is very photogenic. Uh, he's got a picture in the profile pic, yes, of of Allie. Uh, dogs are hard, but uh, the good far outweighs the hard. Everyone should have a dog. Social media accounts for dogs. I, I, don't, I don't have social media, I'll probably never have a social media account for a pet. I actually see the value of them instead of clogging your own feed with that. Mm -hmm. and instead of just being the person that posts pictures of your pets every single day. If you have a separate account just kind of devoted to that, I actually, I kind of prefer that. It's kind of nice. It's like, oh, hey, I'm friends with you, but I don't just want to look at pictures of your dog four times a day. I don't. 
you can have a separate place for that. Maybe I don't have to follow that account, or maybe I do and I can mute that account. Mm-hmm. Then you just <laughs> um, infinite dog picks in one spot. That's a good point. Yeah. So just I, I, I they, they understandably as they should get a bad rap because it's like, why does a dog need a social media account? But I, I look at it as more of just having a separate place to post this without necessarily feeling like that's the only thing you post on Instagram because some people do that and that's the worst. Okay. Uh, well, I just want to say really quick, they shouted out uh, Atlanta Humane Society. That's actually where we mm. got Boo. Um, they are like the best run. I've lived in lots of places. They're like the best run Humane Society I've ever been to. Uh, their location's awesome. You can tell that like a lot of people with some influence like either left their trust to that place or whatever, because you go in there, dude, and it's like, I mean, it's like a five-store resort for dogs. And I, like, donate there, actually, and, like, I feel really good about it because you can tell, like, all the dogs and cats that are there are, like, really getting, like, first-class care based on what I can tell. So, yeah, I mean, we've been to, like, several, like, different shelters and stuff, and that was the one that we were really blown away with. So shout-out Atlanta Humane Society. They do really good work. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm always a believer that you shouldn't, go to Humane Society unless you're planning on buying. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a little bit unpopular, but I I think it's, I think it's, it'd be, if you, if, I mean, and some people, like maybe you just go one time, just kind of look, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but like I would go with the intent to buy, assuming that I'm going to walk out of there with a pet and not just go to kind of like play with some animals to make myself feel good. Mm-hmm. I would feel bad kind of doing that because of obviously like that's what they're all hoping for. If you don't find a, a pet that, that necessarily fits your, your household or, or your needs at that specific time, that's totally different. But I, I don't know. I've always just kind of thought that that would be the best way to go about it. Like go in there kind of with an intent, intent and not just necessarily to, to pick yourself up after, you know, a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benny Hanna has got a thread. Benny Hanna started a thread of, uh, of dog pics. We've got a lot of dog pics. If you want to go join the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, you can see all of them. Um, great, great stuff. Uh, Andy Goins says, current apartment I live in is moving to DNA testing, to DNA testing feces they find to link it to the matching dog and charge the owner for not cleaning up after them. <laughs> I thought this was America, Andy says. Might mean too much. I'm, I'm sorry. That sounds... <laughs> That's like the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. That seems like we're a step or two away from like Skynet with that. I don't like that at all. You must have a real poop problem in your place. <laughs> but if you thing. have that, those kind of resources, I would guess you don't. You just have too much money laid around. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe that. I don't know. If I found out an apartment complex, you're not necessarily having to deal with like homeowners association or something like that. The conversation that we had a month or two ago uh, in figuring it out. But if I found out that my HOA money was going to something like that of testing my dog's feces to find out if I was cleaning up after them, I'd be like, okay, what are, what are we really doing here? It's biodegradable. I, look, pick up after your pets, all that, but we could spend our time on other things probably. Right. Uh, Derek Walden's got a great picture of his dog's boxer. Ooh, a boxer named after Sony, Sony Michelle Aww. and Herschel. And Herschel. Oh, these are great picks. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot. Yeah, we've got a lot of great responses here. Laura Doyle also um, shared pictures. Oh, that is a very, very cute dog. These are okay. I need to stop looking at these because these are just warming my heart. Way Connor gets a dog as well. Oh God, yeah, we're getting close. Uh, we're getting. We're, we're, I, I'm. I, I'm just the biggest softie in the world. When when I was around, yeah, Will's looking at pictures of these dogs right now. Laura's dog is melting. so sweet. Oh my goodness, this thing is so small. I love it. Oh, Whaley. 
Um, let's go to, uh, we got, to, let's, let's end with these two here. We kind of run long a little bit with, with figuring out. That's all right. Uh, Justin Lonazak says dogs is a must big dogs. My favorite one was a short haired chow chow protective and nice. I dislike social media for dogs. Big dogs can be, um, big, if, if big dogs are, are, are raised correctly, you got them trained totally fine. I've also seen kind of the, what that can do when like a smaller person walks into a household that has a big dog and it kind of freaks them out a little bit and it can just be a little bit intimidating and it's kind of a tough thing to, to, to bring somebody new into. Um, I, I like. Are you talking about a child or like just a short person? Yes. <laughs> All the above. Okay, just making sure. All the above. If you if you grow up around big dogs, you're used to seeing that. But there's something about when you go to somebody's house and dogs like a big dog is barking, and you know the second you open the door, it's like it's on and yep. it's popping. And it's tough to kind of get them down a little bit. That's that's like the kind of the drawback. There's I mean there's drawbacks to every kind of dogs. I'm not like hating on big dogs. I would love to own a big dog. But I have absolutely no problem owning Scooby Doo and being Shaggy and going in the Mystery Machine and eating a lot of food all the time. All right, let, let the record show. I think I'd be Shaggy, but okay. You <laughs> you know what? You would be. Who's, does that make me Fred? I'm I think, definitely Fred. I think Fred. you're probably Fred, yeah, just to be God. honest with you. <laughs> Golly. All right, whatever. Um, yeah, but anyway, big dogs are great. That's the only thing sometimes that I kind of have some reservation and would, would as an owner, would would kind of freak me out a little bit. Is I, I don't want them to kind of give off the wrong impression or, or scare somebody, even if they don't mean any sort of harm or anything like that. That's just kind of a, you know, the, the physical things that we subconsciously are, at least the things that I'm kind of worried about sometimes. Let's do this one from Lauren Jeffords to end this. Uh, Lauren says, get you a mutt, they're the best. Um, my hub at the time, boyfriend, was so against me getting a dog, now I'm pretty sure he loves the dog more than me. Uh, nah for the social media accounts for pets. We didn't get any yas for that one, <laughs> we did not. It's good uh, that they exist. I just, like, it's always kind of cringe when someone that you know kind of like tries to get one off the ground. I'm not like speaking on anyone in particular. I just know a lot of people did it when I got really big in like high school. I know both of my sisters tried to do it. They just kind of gave up on it. So like, it's good. This is a very elitist thing to say, but it's like, if you're very good at it and you have time to spend on it, go for it. If you're just like, ah, you know, like don't, don't half step to the dog, to the dog content, you know? But it kind of lets that person filter out. You just don't want to see extra stuff. pictures. <laughs> if it's all if it's all you're posting, sometimes I'm just like, look, that's much. I, I can't handle that. I can't. Right. Okay. I, I I would like to see other elements of your life. I really would. Nobody thinks nobody thinks like their their dog is uncute. Okay. Nobody thinks their pet in general. Every everything that that a pet does is considered adorable, and and the world needs to see it, right? It's like I mean, people do that with with their babies and stuff, which different, not compared to dogs to kids, but we have a, we have a tendency, and I'm definitely guilty of this as well. But I just think sometimes it's kind of nice if I can separate those two things. I mean, the human being, and not just the dog that you have. That I'd love to see pictures of sometimes, just not. All the time. I like to be able to have that choice. That's it. Um, 
Oh, and then Lauren also ended with, uh, dogs will make you feel love every minute of every day, but will eventually break your heart just once. Dang. That's, that's bittersweet. That's really bittersweet. All right, I got in my feelings too much talking about dogs today. It's kind of um, here before you start crying. Yeah, no, I know. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts. So I realized that last week I told everyone to enjoy the Final Four, even though we would be talking about it again before any games were played. So <laughs> I Still. guess enjoy, enjoy the first part of the Final Four because we're going to be talking to you guys, uh, yeah, at least, well, no, we're going to talk and then the national championship is going to happen. I just got really confused and in my own head there. Whatever. Um, go subscribe to everything Saturday Down South does. YouTube channel. Go subscribe to the college football newsletter that we do. Saturday.football. Blue Trip Grit, our basketball newsletter as well. Uh, join the Facebook group. Your name Red On Air in Bold and Brash and figuring it out. Thanks, guys. Enjoy more madness. I'll talk soon.